If I were playing fantasy football and was able to draft Skittles, I would. Technically, they would score me zero points every week because Skittles is a candy and not a football player. And even if it were a football player, it would just lay there on the field. So that doesn't work out so great. Maybe it could get a tackle because someone would trip over them, but that doesn't get you any fantasy points. It doesn't matter. Skittles are fruity and delicious, though. Also, fantasy football is over, so I don't know why I'm saying any of this. Skittles. Podcast the rainbow. Taste the rainbow. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. How you doing, buddy? Uh, Better than you. Let's talk about it. I I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm heartbroken. It it was a devastating uh, outcome. Uh, And that game was really hard to kind of process. And if you're going to lose, that's the worst way to lose. Yeah. And he made the first one. And there are a million things I could say about that game, but the Bears did not deserve to win. I mean, just the amount of times where Trubisky threw into triple coverage and it it fell incomplete. It was a disgusting game. The defense carried them as it's wont to do. And it's more so about what happens next. And, And that's why I'm as sad as I am about the Bears. Just... When you Season say what happens general. next, do you mean what happens next in the in the Bears franchise, or just the fact that yes. the divisional round is going to happen without the Bears? No, it, it's it, what happens next in the Bears franchise mm-hmm. because it, it's one of those things where we've talked about this. There's no guarantee. There, there is no guarantee that this team that has built itself up over the next three years as a plan when it it comes to the roster, you know, the idea that for the most part everyone will be back. You know, Amos is a free agent, uh, stuff like that. But it's more about bit players are need to be retained. For the most part, this team is on a three-year run with this structure. And, you know, one of the things about the Mac deal, which is obviously a massive deal, is it gets better every single year as the cap rises. I mean, by by 2021, it's going to be around 10 or 12% of the cap. I mean, that's that's cap management 101 right there. So the Mac deal is not going to age really as badly as some of the other mega deals around the league. Yeah, but it's the Mac deal. So 2021 is you bring that up, but that's when the Trubisky fifth year option would be. So that's more or less the trajectory of this franchise is dependent on what he is. And he was not good today. I mean, he made some really nice throws, but there were a handful that could have cost them the game every single time. It, it was a frustrating, maddening game. I, I wish they would have won. I wish that kick would have gone through, but it, it's not as if they outplayed the Eagles left and right here and they deserve to win. I, I don't feel that way. I, I feel like it was one of those games where you just assume, like, you just pray as a fan that you win. And you get to play the next week. And that's not what happened. Uh, they they got outplayed in a lot of ways. And they lost because the ball did not bounce their way. I, I'm i heartbroken. Uh, it was such a fun season. It was wow. such a fun season. That, that defense. And, and today was another example of it. The defense came through in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And turnovers and everything. It's just... I don't know. It... I, I'm still having trouble trying to process it. it. It's, it's a rough thing. I, you, you let yourself get really 
you let you fall, you let yourself fall in love with certain iterations of your team, and that's how it was with this team this year. And it's over. And, and I don't. I'm not like. I'm really not going to chalk it up to Nick Foles magic, and like mm-hmm. this idea that the Eagles are this mystical thing. Yeah. It, the, the Bears fucked up, and um, that's all we have. Can I have a counterpoint? You can. Nick Foles magic, baby. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm all set Foles with that. Foles magic. Yeah, I'm, I'm all I'm all set with that. Nick uh, Foles. Wow. If, if, Co- if Cody Parkey makes a 43 fucking yard field mm. goal, we're, we're, this this conversation is over. Well, you know the other side of this the pro- is? You know what the problem is there is he was playing Nick Foles. Yeah, I guess so. You know the other part of this is? Uh, yeah. If if Prince of Mukamura doesn't get called for a forty yard pass yeah. interference penalty on a on a play that was not fucking pass interference, I never bitch about the refs. I, the ref the refs thing drives me crazy. It, it's that is the worst excuse you can ever have. That is not pass interference, and it is the biggest play the Eagles offense had the entire game. Was that one play that got them inside the ten yard line where Jordan Matthews? inexplicably beats a guy who's better than him at football down the right side, down the left sideline. And guess what? He didn't beat him. It just, we're two or three bounces of the ball calls, whatever away from the Eagles not being in this anymore. The Eagles are fine. They have a lot of good players. Fletcher Cox was amazing today. I felt like their coaching staff did a really nice job. I, you can keep all of your big Nick energy. Okay. Well, so Nick Foles is going to play the divisional round. Now I saw stats and I think it was from Chase Stewart. Blew my mind. If the Eagles win next weekend, they will have set the record. They already tied the record. They will set the record for most consecutive wins as an underdog in the playoffs. Um, actually, the Raven, the Joe Flacco Ravens did it as well. Um, and then I think some some hostile or Giants teams, those teams. Uh, but it's it sort of speaks to how ridiculous this run has been. Obviously, obviously they got some lucky breaks tonight. The Golden Tate trade is back. We were out on the Golden Tate trade for half the season. It is now back as a value trade. Congratulations to the Golden Tate trade for for being good. Um, I thought it was a really interesting game. I just think that, you know, one of the things I was asked to make a prediction on Friday. And one of the things I, I always think about with these teams, and it comes from from when I was around those Seattle teams a little bit when they were really, really good and they were winning sort of 17 to 10 games a lot, kind of early in the Russell Wilson era. And you know, one of the things I remember somebody saying was that when you play a lot of those low-scoring games, you get comfortable in those low-scoring games. And because you're always sort of one play away from disaster. You're always playing in a 14 to 9 game. You're always playing in a 16 to 14 game and you get comfortable with it and you're not nervous like everybody else. And that is why I thought the Bears were going to win this game was because I imagined everything that was going to happen up until that fourth down. I imagined that they were going to be comfortable and have that fourth down stand. When they had the first three downs, I said, "This, thank God, this is exactly what I predicted. And then we just saw a sort of Nick Foles, Golden Tate. You know, they, they just made a play. That was the difference. I think that, that that was impressive to me because if I were to bet, even though it was a low, it was a low probability event for them to have a goal line stand for four straight downs, I imagined it would happen because the Bears were built for it. That was if there was any team in the NFL who was going to make that stand, it was going to be the Chicago Bears. That's why I'm pre- I was impressed with what the Eagles were able to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the reason you trade for Golden Tate is to have a guy who was able to exist in that sort of 
high leverage, tight margin moment. And that's exactly what he did. It's, uh, it was, I think, Sherrick McManus in that moment. And it's, there's your backup slot cornerback. And you have a couple of moments where it would have been really nice to have Eddie Jackson in that game. It's just, yeah. it, it was, it was such. And I also think, by the way, on the offensive side, Trey Burton being out is a little bigger than maybe people gave it credit for. We didn't yeah, talk they, about they, it because it literally didn't happen until what? Saturday morning. Yeah, the offense was a disaster. I yep. mean, they, they just they were so bad for most of the game, and and that's the biggest question with the Bears going forward is what happens with Trubisky, and he was notably terrible <laughs> so many times in this game, and if that doesn't improve, then it doesn't really matter if the defense can sustain this moving forward, and mm. the problem is <laughs> the the second part of that equation is likely not going to happen because for the most part, what, which elements of the defense are coming back next year? Vic Fangio yeah. is likely going to be a head coach in a couple months here. Adrian Emos is a free agent. Bryce Callahan is a free agent. You don't have that much room under the cap. If you sign one of them, I don't, can you sign the other? There's so many things going on here. It it's what makes it really, really tough to process emotionally because I yeah. don't know if they're going to have a better shot than this, and I don't know if Trubisky is going to be better mm-hmm. to make up for it. Because we've talked about this so many times. It's in order to stave off regression, you need to be a slightly different version of the team you were the year before. The Seahawks have done it with various defenders kind of stepping up and stepping back. The Patriots have done it so many different ways, schematically, everything else. The Bears' offense needs to make up for the step back the defense is inevitably going to take. And watching that game today, I just don't have much faith in that happening. (laughs) Okay. So a couple of things. I agree. A lot of times with these elite defenses, we always assume the offense is going to get better the next year. I mean, that was sort of what everybody was banking on with Jacksonville, and that just didn't happen, obviously. And not only that, the defense regressed to mortal. It wasn't like the Jaguars' defense was the worst in the NFL. I mean, no, they were they were still a pretty good like defense. Sixth. They yes. weren't just historically good. They didn't have the two best statistical cornerbacks in the NFL, and Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye playing at an incredible level like they did in 2017, and everything fell apart from there. Or if you're the Jaguars, you just blame Leonard Fournette. So, I, I, I agree with you. I would not guess that this team is going to win the division next year. Having said that, I didn't think they were going to win it this year. I thought the Vikings had a lot more talent than they did. I was wrong. Um, so I think that it's 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 going to be an interesting offseason what they're able to do. I still think when you have people, whether or not Vic Fangio comes back is a massive, massive point. And but I think there's a couple of things to take solace in. I mean, Eddie Jackson is still going to come back. Khalil Mack, obviously, is under contract. Um, I mean, they, they can have, they have the rookie contract with Trubisky for at least two more years. So I think they're going to be in position to make some moves, get a little better, but I do not anticipate them sort of building themselves into a dynasty. This is not, there are a, a handful of teams who are better positioned going forward than the, than the Chicago Bears. Absolutely. And again, that's why this is just such a heartbreaking loss because they could have won that game. It's one field goal. And in the playoffs, it's just about surviving. It's about giving yourself a shot the next week. And if they had, then who knows what would have happened? I mean, you go to Los Angeles and 
you figure it out. And if you beat them, then it's just the inches in this game and how small the margin of error is and how small you're going full Al Pacino on any given well, Sunday here, bud. but, but that, that's what it was. I mean, and, and it's, and if you do win, then who knows if you can win the next week. And I, there is no guarantee that you'll be back. And, and that's why it's just a really tough night because the only, I, I, the only guarantee on who can return is Nick Foles, who now has a hundred and five pass rating in the postseason, which is the best of all time, minimum 150 attempts. There you go. All right. Do you want to he say anything out, about, do the, you know, do you know previously held the record until tonight? I, I probably don't. Joe Montana. Bart star. Wow. There Sorry, you go. Bart star. You got owned brother. Nick Foles, Bart star. I always mention them in the From same Scott breath. Barrett, I, way, I expected to. So, uh, did, anything else to say about the Eagles or are we kind of just, we'll save that for the Eagles um, Saints preview that we inevitably have to do next week. I think you're seeing what the Eagles have built. You're seeing roster depth everywhere. I mean, one of the lessons of the Eagles last year is they were able to win a damn Super Bowl with a, with backups at the two most important positions, I think, which is left tackle and quarterback and not in that order, obviously. But I think that you're just seeing what Howie Roseman has built, Doug Peterson's coaching ability. I mean, they're they're doing it again. I mean, even if they lose next week, it is still remarkable that they went on this run and they've won a playoff game. That is remarkable. They went into Chicago and played probably the best defense in the NFL and they won a game. This is a testament to coaching and general managing and ownership and being a very sturdy organization. I totally agree. And watching that game today, Khalil Mack didn't do anything. No. I mean, they for the most part, they managed to slow down the pass rush. You know, uh, Floyd had that one sack. I'm fairly certain that's the only sack they had. You know, Foles had a ton of room to operate. It was what we talked about this week. The infrastructure that the Eagles have built around Nick Foles allowed this to happen. And he made a couple plays that were necessary and they got a couple breaks. It's not dissimilar to the formula we saw last season and what's the Eagles formula. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. I I think, I think Howie Roseman is probably the best general manager in football. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll talk about Chris Bauer and the Colts here in a little bit, but this is kind of a walk off for his executive of the year thing, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm happy to give it to him after the results from yesterday and the results from today, but Hey, can we briefly talk about the 15% rule? Yeah, if you want to. Uh, Colts and Eagles going to the conference championship game. Cool. Let's do that. That sounds great. Colts-Eagles Colts, conference championship game appearances. I'm rooting for them now. I fucking hate everything. I'm sorry <sighs> you got owned by the the 15% rule, brother, but you know that's just something I can do about it. Yeah, I know. It's math, and it's just the cosmic elements of what's going on I, in the world. I, I am upset. For you that I understand the rhythms of the universe on accident, but it's just the way we're going to have to deal with this. Yeah, I know. I know. All right. We're going to go in reverse chronological order here. Let's get to Ravens and Chargers. Uh, I don't know what to say about this game other than the Chargers threw a shutout. I I mean, I was so impressed with their approach. And this is not only from a coaching standpoint, but just from a mindset standpoint. Watching that defense play, and especially their front, the amount of penetration, how deep they were getting in the backfield, just the idea that they were going to blow up every single action 
pulling guards, motions, all that stuff that Baltimore was doing. It was the exact sort of game I needed to see from the Chargers coaching yeah. staff to have the utmost faith in their roster talent. Yep. I mean, I was completely wrong about this game. And I think that it's because I just anticipated, as we discussed, I didn't... There were a couple of things I didn't anticipate. Number one is I thought the play calling was pretty bad. I think that this was not a great weekend for for modern modern coaching. Um, and, and I think that there were just positions that Lamar was put in on, on Sunday that were probably not the best. Okay. He also did not play well. He, he, he really did not. I mean, I, let me, let me, let me back up here. Lamar Jackson for three quarters played like absolute garbage. I'm not going to say that that John Harbaugh or Marty Morning or Greg Roman is the reason he played like garbage. I'm saying that I, I, when I thought about this game, I did not anticipate the game plan that I saw on Sunday. Okay. But what I also anticipated was that the, the run game talent was going to be able to overcome this Chargers defense, which is, as I've said many times, built to be really athletic and built to stop, stay with the Patrick Mahomes of the world. Well, apparently they're built to stay with Lamar Jackson's of the world too. And that's what I, that was where I was, I was wrong. Huge. I guess you could say, uh, they were in the backfield all the time. They were daring him to throw and he could not throw. Derwin James was everywhere. Joey Bosa was in the backfield. The I mean, safeties they were, were everywhere. The I safeties were everywhere. I mean, this them game playing plan, those three guys together was really, really smart because it just gave them a level of just, they were not predictable. Having Phillips, Adai and Derwin on the field for a majority of the snaps and the way they use them, it was really smart. Did you see, I mean, Gus Bradley did a great, great job. Did you yes. see the stat? Okay, this is, this is from Next Gen Stats. On 58 of 59 defensive snaps, the Chargers utilized seven defensive backs. There it is. It's those three, and it was the safeties. Because for the most part, when you think about seven defensive backs, you're talking about dime, you're talking talk about more corners. They threw three safeties in that game, and they really played with Baltimore's assignments. And for those safeties to play that big against a run-heavy team, most teams don't have that flexibility defensively. And that's exactly well, what the Chargers showed off today. Well, here's, here's the second part of that, which is going to speak to this. This is, this is from Adam Schefter. No team has used seven defensive backs on more than blank snaps in a game this season. Fill in the blank, Robert. 10. 18. Yeah, that's amazing. So they went from 18. The NFL, an NFL team had not gone 18, 19 snaps with more than seven defensive backs. And the Chargers did it 58 times. That's how you win a playoff game. That's how you make an adjustment. Okay. That was good coaching. Because everybody kept, obviously, we all saw the Baltimore-Los Angeles game last month. We all saw, and it played a big role in me thinking that that Baltimore is going to win this game by ten points. And the, the the game plan that they came up with, Gus Bradley, his tenure in Jacksonville, made us all forget how good of a defensive coach he was in Seattle. I I just I, I'm hugely impressed with the Chargers, and after that game, after the way they played against. And I would say they did a steady job against that defense. That, the Baltimore defense did a very, very good job given the positions they were put in on Sunday. But I would say after that game, I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% confident the Patriots are going to win next week. I, I feel the exact same way. I really do believe 
that the Chargers can go in and win that game. And I don't feel less confident about the Chargers offense because I think that's just how good Baltimore's defense is. And it's almost as it, it it's similar to as if the Bears had won this game. It's if you win, who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. Uh, you trust what you've been for most of the season on either side of the ball. And I absolutely think the Chargers offense can go in and take it to the Patriots defense. And based on what their coaching staff was able to show this week, yeah, it's now we we discussed it a lot before the playoffs started. Being on the road that often is tough. And the Chargers had three road games and that's how it was going to go. But now it's two. And one of them is against a Patriots team that I don't think has the talent top to bottom that this Chargers roster has. And uh, so... Yes, I totally agree. I mean, I, th- I think at this point, you look at all the advantages that each team has. And at this point, I'm looking at Belichick is a better coach than Anthony Lynn, even though Anthony Lynn coached a hell of a game on Sunday. And, and has coached a hell of a season. Yep. I mean, that, that it, it, his the job that staff overall has done I think that was what would hold what would have held this held this team back. So I, it, oh, coming into the year, and I'll, I'll let you I'll finish in a second. No, we're, coming we're into good. the year, I, I think the two teams I was probably higher on. Just I don't know if you were ranking them than anyone else. I, mean, I wrote I wrote I did a power rankings. You probably can document this. Were the Browns and the Chargers, and it was about overall roster talent and construction. And with the Browns, it was, is the coaching staff going to hold them back? And for the most part, the answer was yes over the first couple of months. And the same was true with the Chargers. Is the coaching staff going to hold them back? And with the Chargers, the answer is no. The coaching staff nope. really did let that team flourish in a way that was not necessarily a guarantee coming into the year. And th- that's the biggest thing with me is that both Anthony Lynn and Gus Bradley have done really, really good jobs. And I think that's why this team is really dangerous right now. Yeah. I Yes. And, and now it's funny because I think, I think, and this may be just, just a me problem. I think we conflated the Chargers kicker problems with bad coaching. Correct. When I'm, I'm really, with you. really, yeah. I think it was just they had a bad kicker. I, I think that that's a, a fair statement. But go back and look at how predictable they were yeah, oh, on like first well, and yeah, ten no, situations especially, last especially year. Early downs, yeah. Yes, it's just I don't. You're right. I think that, but that was we were making a lot of jokes about kind of the other elements of who the Chargers were outside of the talent of the players and their team. But I think that the coaching quality has definitely improved this season and it's been really good down the stretch. Here. Yeah, I wrote about that a little bit in my analytics story a couple of weeks ago. Just how how much more they're passing on first and second down, which is really their was their problem um, aside from the kicking in 2017, which is that they were just, they were running the ball a little too much. They have Phillip Rivers, let him make plays and they've sort of embraced that in 2018. So I, I, I agree that, that, that there was some predictability problems again. So Anthony Lynn, very good coach. Sorry, Bill Belichick is better. I don't yeah. know w- how to finish the sentence about Tom Brady and Phillip Rivers because I I don't want to besmirch the goat. I mean, it's going to be amazing. I'm very much looking forward. to I'm that just game. saying, that, if you if, if if the names were removed at this point, I think you would probably say the better form right now is going to Philip Rivers. 
Yeah, but he, I mean, he wasn't very good today. He hasn't been very he wasn't good very the last good. Okay. month, but he's also played the Ravens twice over the last month. And so the advantage is, here's my thing, though. Being Tom Brady is an advantage. I'm giving the quarterback advantage to Tom Brady but for old time's sake, okay? So I'm right now, I'm at coach is better, quarterback is better, and playing in Foxborough is just some mystical Nick Folesian thing where they just, they win all the time. And so those are the things going in, in favor of New England. As far as Los Angeles goes, they've got a lot of other advantages. They have an incredible pass rush. They have athletes everywhere. They have a legitimate running game. They have skill position guys that the, I mean, Keenan Allen, the damn Patriots would kill to have a Keenan Allen. They'd kill to have a Williams. I mean, yes. So it is, it's going to be an incredible matchup. And I, I have not thought about it enough. Let's leave it for the Thursday, Thursday episode as far as, you know, actual predictions. But what I can say is, it, the Patriots have advantages where it matter where it matters most, and the Chargers have more advantages, and that's what's really interesting to me. One of the Chargers' advantages is that Melvin Ingram can be the best player on the field in a yep. playoff game. Yep, watching him today was amazing, and, and it's I, I tweeted about this, but I think that it's kind of a it's a complex point that I don't know if I totally if, if it came out the right way and it came across the right way. So what him and Bosa can do is different than what a guy, I'm trying to th- like think of the right comparison because there are a lot of guys that are great kind of edge rushers that can bend the corner and that are pass rushers and everything else. And then there are specific types of players that affect the game in different ways where they are great run defenders, where they are able to change direction really well. They have great inside counter moves, that kind of stuff. And the way that Melvin Ingram played today, just how many times he was ducking inside into like into the C-gap on plays yep. he shouldn't. It's just blowing up plays he had no business blowing up. And that was the thing that jumped out to me about the Chargers defense today is just that athletes that are making plays outside of maybe what they're supposed to be making. And that's why I thought the Chargers Bosa were dangerous had coming into the season. incredible interior pressure as well. Correct. And they both of those guys lined up as the three technique yep. on a couple huge plays. Bosa had a sack as the three technique. Ingram had a sack on that spin move as the three technique. It's, it's a really nice combination of defensive coaching that puts those guys in positions to succeed because they're willing to be a little bit creative and Mm -hmm. players who are malleable in the roles in which they can succeed. And that's exactly what you saw today. And I think that's exactly what you can see for the rest of the playoffs. It all I thought coming into the season that could hold the chargers back was a coaching staff that did not make the most of the talent that it had. And that's why today was so encouraging because you had all the talent I thought they were going to have coming into the season and a coaching staff that knew exactly how to get the most out of it. Yep. I mean, it, it's amazing. I also think they're now, they are still undefeated on the road. I really do think, and the players have talked about this. I think there's something to sort of a us against the world mentality because yep. they never play a home game. I mean, I saw I'm it a little you. bit. I saw it a little bit in the Pittsburgh game where they seem just unnaturally close for a team. And I think it, and they're just kind of like, I don't know. They celebrate a little more than most teams. I, it just seemed to me like they have a closeness because I don't know. There's not a lot of 
there's not a lot of Chargers fans in this world. And I feel like there's there's something to that. Um, I, I really, really do. Did you see Russell Okung uh, floated a conspiracy theory that Roger Goodell does not want the Chargers to win the Super Bowl? I did not see that, but I can definitely see Roger, uh, Russell Okung saying that. So I have a question about that just very quickly. So what was it? Give me like the tenets said, of that point. He said Roger. Well, so obviously there was a very, very fishy holding penalty on the Mel- the Melvin Gordon run that, that should have ended the game. With that, and then there was also the two touchdown or the one touchdown that wasn't a touchdown, and then right. the almost fumble that became it, a touchdown. Right. This was specifically oh, no, that became a fourth and three play or whatever it was. This was specifically three his inches. his holding call because it was against him. Yeah, um, I, did, said, I, I did not support that holding call. I thought that was well. Bullshit, I mean, that's but. and that's what we talked about with the home field stuff. Even yep. though I mean, again, the stat is no team that has made the Super Bowl has played a road game since 2012, since the 2012 season. That is the stat. So there have been obviously wild card upsets on the road. There have been, as we've talked about, the Packers beat the Cowboys there. That was that was one of the rare instances where one seed hasn't made the Super Bowl the last couple of years. But the reason it happens is because the home team gets a big call. And that's an example of a big I call that could have swung the game. lost at home. Keep, keep going. Oh, are we? Uh, are we, I'm sorry. Do you want to no, talk about it again? No, I'm fine. I'm okay, fine. Okay, okay. You're fine. Just keep so talking. So Russell Okun I'm, I'm, said, "The fact well, that I'm even doing this right now, I feel like I should get a fucking medal." Thank you for your service, Robert. Thank you very much, uh, buddy. Quote: Roger Goodell doesn't want it to come home to the Chargers. First of all, what home? Second of all, <laughs> uh, it, 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 it can't come home. I don't understand what that yeah, means. He means he means like the Lombardi Trophy. Diego? Yeah, I don't know. So second of all. I have a question. So here's here's the actual point I want to make. If he was fixing it, if Roger Goodell was fixing it, don't you think he would fix it for the one team that literally they're having meetings about how they're not going to meet revenue projections? Wouldn't that help them? Yeah, I, I think this is kind of a convoluted, you know, not well thought out sort of deal. It's just a strange conspiracy theory. It kind of goes back to what I say all the time about how like people say, oh, they fixed games for the Patriots. Well, why not fix games for the Packers and the Steelers and the Cowboys, who are all yeah. of whom are significantly more popular? I, I, I kind of ascribing this evil genius quality to the NFL the, in the general. Office. Yeah, I, I think that's really overstating like how smart sort of these dudes sub-TMZ are. Sub-TMZ investigators, just like... They're, they're, yes. They, completely screw up almost every disciplinary thing and yet they're they're managed to have have formed this 15 billion dollar industry that has thousands of employees into one big referee conspiracy the only thing i want to say about that, that, fa- that favors the new england patriots somehow yeah exactly the only thing i want to say about that russell kung holding point is that my least favorite nfl twitter is holding twitter and we really need to start understanding. I don't really that, know holding Twitter. I think that's if you're like an offensive line guy. Like that's you. exactly right. It's like okay. so. We'll I don't talk follow about this in anybody in holding Twitter. But it, it no, it's more about the people responding to you about certain plays, and like the Quentin Nelson Jadevian Clowney pancake, mm-hmm. and how it was like, oh, that's holding. So there's holding on every play. Let's come to understand this. The only time holding gets called is when a defensive player is moving against the grain of where the play is. So if an offensive player is grasping a defensive player, but the defensive player does not change direction in any way over that play, 
especially like within the tackle box, that's not going to get called. Everyone like calm down. It, it just drives me insane. Like that's, did Russell Kung, was he outside the frame on that play? Yes. But the player was moving in the direction of what was happening the entire time. And it wasn't necessarily a holding. So I don't know. It's this weekend as everyone's watching the same game, it becomes more and more apparent to me, like how many people are bitching about holding calls and the refs and everything else. And it just starts to drive me insane. But that's all I have to say about that. We can move on. You're really putting holding Twitter on notice. I I, I just say, I hate it. It, it, It's one of my least favorite things. It's like the things that will make me to say like, no, I'm done with you. That was holding when pointing out like a really nice block is probably my favorite, like just the most automatic one. All right. Speaking of things that are uh, really frustrating me, uh, let's get to Brian Schottenheimer and the Cowboys Seahawks debacle. Dude, we, we bought into Brian Schottenheimer a little bit. I think it's because of those cable Thanos videos. Yeah. It was easy to kind of get intoxicated by the Seahawks. I was hyped on it. A good hype video can make me believe anything. Is that the worst called game you have ever seen in a big NFL moment? Oh. Oh, in a big NFL moment. I have to think about it a little more, but I don't remember. I don't remember a worse one. It's got that for me. I don't remember a worse one. What would it be? Oh, I know. It's when the the Rams played the Patriots in the Super Bowl and... The players are going over to Mike Martz telling them, telling him that Belichick knew the entire game plan and they have to switch it up and Mike Martz wouldn't do it. Yeah, that's fair. I, I that was 18 years ago. I was not nearly as engaged with the I was, sport you know as I, I am now. We're the same age. I was grinding tape. So, <laughs> so that's on you, bud. Watching that game yesterday and it's not as if it was a shock because all season the Seahawks had been this run heavy asking Russell Wilson to three make, running backs. Yeah. Run heavy, uh, three running backs, you know, having that be just the crux of who they are offensively, uh, asking Russell Wilson to make a ton of tight window, high difficulty throws outside the numbers and really relying on guys like Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett to make plays that probably shouldn't have been made. It wasn't shocking. But watching that game and just seeing how dedicated they were to that approach when it wasn't working, it was remarkable. I I just don't understand how you can be an NFL team with one of the best quarterbacks in the league and watch how well you're moving the ball when you're throwing it and then refuse to throw it for four straight quarters. I, I just, it was so bizarre. When they used play action, it worked. You don't That's need to one run drive. Well. You don't that, need to, to run well to establish the play action. Just do it. You have Russell Wilson. I mean, I it just uh, to be honest with you, I feel like it's it's not even a conservative game plan. It's just a nonsensical one because the conservative correct. game plan is to take what your team does well and do it over and over and over again. And what your yes. team does well is literally have Russell Wilson. It's, I understand, you know, that we know this, anyone who's ever listened to this podcast knows that no one loves play action passing more than me. 
I understand that you need to run every Kyle once Shanahan in a while. Likes it more than maybe, maybe it's Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan's number one. I'm number two. Okay. You need to run the ball every once in a while to have a play action offense because you need to meld the two together. That's the most important thing. But like, is but you, like every once in a while does not mean every third player. Like that, maybe like I don't even know. I I would go as low as humanly acceptable. That's exactly unless right. there was a real reason, like it was it was third and one. That's it. That's exactly right. And so it, it's l- let's just discuss the kind of anatomy of every single drive. It's run, run, pass. And l- if you so it's run, run, pass every drive. You have you know fourteen, fifteen drives. How about on half of those drives that run on first down is a play action pass. That's enough. That is enough to give credence to those run fakes in those scenarios. It's, you don't have, I mean, there was a moment during that game where Russell Wilson was averaging 8.3 yards per attempt. Yep. And the Seahawks running backs had carried the ball 20 times for 60 yards. It doesn't need to be that ratio. It no, just doesn't. It sure doesn't. It, it, it can be. 12 runs and 28 passes and the effect of those run fakes can still be the same. We have so much math that supports this. But dude, it's not even just the commitment to this 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 particular game and running the ball. It's spending a first round pick on a running back. I mean, yes. it's just it's an organizational problem. It's if insane. you did not believe in running the ball, your lives would be so much better. You would not only get to use Russell Wilson and Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett more effectively, you would have had a better first-round pick. You would have had more value of positions where it matters. I mean, that that's the problem for me. And I don't know. I mean, it's just it's very frustrating because they've had they they have so many players that I really like. And I really do think Pete Carroll is kind of a visionary in this era of unlimited offense with, with, you know, sort of how he built that defense. And I understand that running the ball is a part of his philosophy, but I just feel like generally it's, it's, I wish he could change his ways at, at this point in his career. That drive where they had those two back-to-back throws, the one to Dixon uh, coming, it was a play action throw coming back left. I think it was, I believe it was like a corner route that they had a big gain on. And then they came back with a play action throw on the next first down to lock it down like inside the 10. It, it's beautiful to watch that version of the Seahawks offense. And when you're watching it happen, I was saying out loud in the press box, just do it every time. Yep. Just, j- just do it every time. Like, why not? What is stopping you from having that be the basis of who you are? You can be a run-heavy team. Look at the Rams. Look at the percentage of the time the Rams run the ball versus the the percentage of the time the Rams run play action. It doesn't have to be on this side of the equation. You can do it less often and still have it be your identity. And that's the word that's kept coming up over and over again. Running the ball is their identity. Play action is their identity. It can be, and it can be a 40% running the ball situation and a 60% throwing the ball situation with 40% of those dropbacks being play action. It's It's just very, very, why don't they make the whole point out of the black box kind of thing? Yes. Just do it. Just if something works, just do it over and over and over again. So what do you think happens with Wilson? 
because I, I tweeted about this this morning. It was kind of in well, jest. Okay. The, the, the notion that if you're going to be this team, why in God's name would you give a quarterback $30 million? You just wrote about it this week. Uh, just how well, much and, that and, sort of contract okay. hinders your franchise. And if you're going to be a team that doesn't emphasize quarterback play as often as possible, obviously Russell Wilson's making plays is the reason the Seahawks are where they are. They needed him to be this person. But if you're not going to be a guy or not going to be a team, not going to be a coaching staff, not going to be an organization that builds who you are around the quarterback's talent and gives him every chance to be the most important player on your roster, why would you give a guy $30 million? You know, I had a conversation that got kind of cut from that quarterback contract story with a guy named Joel Corey, who is really, really smart. And everybody is one of the uh, smartest guys that exists in this business right now. One of, aside from the NFL GMs who I quoted and maybe including NFL GMs I talked to the three people I quoted in that story are smarter than a lot of people in football. Um, Jason Fitzgerald, Zach Moore and Joel Corey, all of whom are very, very good at understanding the cap. And so, and by the way, I swear to God, like I know people are saying, well, those guys can't be smarter than the GM. No, on the cap stuff, they're smarter than half. They the absolutely GMs. can't All be. All three of those guys are A much lot of dumb smarter. people work in football. But what I'm saying is, so yeah, those three guys absolutely are very, very smart. And, uh, and I really enjoy talking to them because they teach me things. I talked to Joel Corey about this Russell Wilson thing. And we talked a little bit about the fact that as, as many people have pointed out, including NFL GMs, um, there's, there's sort of a, a new category where it's the deals that age and they, and they go down. And now Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck are on vaguely bargainy deals because there's deals are signed in 2015 and 2016 respectively. So next year's cap hit is $25 million. Okay. That's a lot, but it's not a backbreaking amount. If, if Russell Wilson had hit the open market last year, he would have made a hell of a lot more or this year. So $25 million is what you got him at. He, if he's franchised and then he's franchised again, I think Joel Corey said the number is about two years, 68 if they do it twice. So you've got to start negotiating. By the way, he has a baseball agent and ba- he's, the whole thing was to drive a hard bargain. And so you've got a situation where you've got to beat two years, 68 if he wants it. Now, there's he might pull a Tom Brady and try to you know take less money in order to, 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 to um, build out a team. I don't really know if he's going to do that. I certainly wouldn't do that. Robert Mays, you would not do that. This is assuming he wants all the money he can get. Uh, it starts at two years, 68. And I think that's that's going to be really fascinating to see what a four-year deal for Russell Wilson looks like and whether or not the Seahawks, who are a forward-thinking organization, try to do the we're not going to pay a quarterback thing, even though they have the one quarterback you should pay. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... It's going to be fascinating. The way they try to build what this team is moving forward, I think is worth watching again because he's a quarterback that's in a rarefied conversation. He's awesome. Yeah, it, it's we should be paying attention to what the Seahawks choose to do because even though we try to identify them as this defense first, whatever franchise, Pete Carroll's been there for the entire time. They've been this version of who they are. The way that Russell Wilson played this year, I, I just think that we should be talking about him the same way we talked about what Mike McCarthy was doing with Aaron Rodgers this year. If you're spoiling that sort of player, 
it's malpractice and something needs to be done about it. And that's why I'm really curious to see what happens with Schottenheimer. I don't understand how you can bring him back. You need to do something different. And if they don't, then they should be excoriated. Free Russell. Let's talk about the Cowboys very briefly before we get to the last game. One thing I want to make clear, Cowboys fans are going to get mad at us. Eagles fans are going to get mad at us. We're going to talk like the whole show about these teams on Thursday. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The Cowboys are good and they're dunking on me. I don't know how good the Cowboys are. Oh, there you go. Hear that, Cowboys fans? I don't know how good the Cowboys are. Go with him. I'm intrigued by who the Cowboys are. And I was at that game this week. And again, that team is... (laughs) Watching them play, I, I... I made a joke about watching Scott Linehan and Brian Schottenheimer coach against each other is like watching a game of checkers and it really is. But there's so many elements of that game watching it from Dallas mm-hmm. where it's like, all right, like I get it. And it's several levels. One, the offensive line played very well against the Seahawks defensive line that's been pretty good this season. And if the Dallas offensive line is healthy and playing well, it's a huge boost for them at every single game. Two, Ezekiel Elliott was really, really, really good. And they need him to be. And the ways in which they used him, screen passes, kind of runs getting him out of the perimeter, which they did several different times. It was a really nice game plan. Three, Dak running the ball, especially in the red zone. Mm-hmm. That is a huge weapon for them. And him using his legs is a necessary element for this offense to be dangerous in the games where it really matters. Four, this is a defensive team now. And that now, is, yeah. That, I mean, that they, is who the they, Dallas that, Cowboys they have been are all season that I, I'm they with have you been since they, they destroyed. And I, I don't use that term lightly. They really did the best, better than anybody at destroying the new Orleans saints offense. I'm with you. They, and, they, they solved the new Orleans saints offense when no one else could. And that was amazing. And that's when I knew this team could win a playoff game or two. Watching them just move. It, it's kind of, it's not dissimilar to watching what Melvin Ingram did today. But watching Van Der Esch in the open field, watching Jalen Smith, watching that defensive line, they are just flying around. And it makes them scary. And it makes them intriguing. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it, you watch that unit and I don't think they're as good as the Bears. I don't think they're as good as the Ravens. You know, Roster talent top to bottom and, and just overall discipline. But I think that they're shades of the same type of coaching quality and it's fun Uh, that team just I don't know that they they got something on defense right now and I believe in them much more today than I did two days ago you want to talk about the value of drafting athletes you got to start with the the Dallas Cowboys I mean they yeah they went out and they identified that they were unathletic a handful of years ago and we've talked about this before I mean teams get unathletic and they realize we got to get athletes and they start drafting off of, you know, literal what they call workout warriors, which used to be a pejorative in this industry and it no longer is. They went out and they got a Byron Jones. Awuzie is another one of these guys, just a great athlete. And, and now they have it everywhere. Um, Jalen Smith was a little harder to project because that injury, Leighton Van Der Esch is not. You told me, you went out to, to damn, was it Idaho? Yeah. 
Yeah, you went out to damn Idaho, and you, the first thing you said was, you're going to love Leighton Van Der Esch. He jumps like a maniac. And yeah, that's true. He's everywhere. He's an athlete. And so if you want to see athleticism in motion and the value of athleticism, you can start with the Dallas Cowboys. The other team you can start with is the Kansas City Chiefs, where John Dorsey really implemented athletes everywhere. I mean, this is there's a lot of things that 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 tie these teams together, but one of them is they've got legitimate freak athletes everywhere. And kudos to Jerry Jones or Will McClay or whoever the hell it is who's who's who, who, who decided to figure out uh, how to get athletes on the roster. All right, let's stick with teams that have done a fantastic job drafting. The Indianapolis Colts, in my opinion. Yeah, there's another one. Because Chris Ballard worked for Johnny Dorsey. The Indianapolis Colts had the most impressive win of the weekend. And I think the implications of that win are even more wide-ranging than just them playing next week. And I think it's on a couple different levels. One, the Colts are set up to be a really, really good team for a long time. And we just had a discussion at the beginning of the show about, um, will the Bears be able to come back and everything else? And it, The difference between the Bears' outlook and the Colts' outlook is that the Colts are built around one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and they have every reason to be better next year. They have $114 million in cap space. The Bears have 20. They were not reliant on a transcendent defense this year. They were reliant on a combination of great coaching that outclassed the talent that they had on the roster. And the other side of it is this was the Colts, or excuse me, this was the Texans' chance. Mm -hmm. This season is the best opportunity they were going to have to take that division. And it's gone. That team is set up to be the class of the AFC South for at least the next five years. And it was not supposed to happen this quickly. The, the rebuilding process in Indianapolis was not supposed to take a year and a half. And I, I cannot say enough about the job that Frank Reich and Chris Ballard have done. All hail Chris Ballard. Um, a couple things. Number one, I was surprised how bad Deshaun Watson played. I assumed my, my general theory on this game was that Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins, who obviously was clearly banged up, that he was, they were going to, both them, by the way, if you saw Deshaun Watson's hand and the fact that he had to take a bus two months ago to a game. But I thought that those two guys were going to sort of solve any and all problems that that the Texans offense had, and I was wrong. Um, the Texans, they, they, they were probably coaching problems. The game plan was weird. They just looked disjointed. Um, the defense, I mean, I have no idea what the hell was going on with their defense, especially early. I mean, T.Y. Hilton, you said it. He was playing on one foot. And he was absolutely torching them. So it was just, it was, I don't even know. It, the, the whole thing seemed to just get away early from the Texans. Probably some bad coaching. They certainly don't lack roster talent. Uh, it was just a complete I think they do, though. I think they do. And so let's, but, let's but, but, you, wait, I'm sorry, on the offensive line, but where, where, where else they have a the good secondary. The secondary, Justin Reed was banged up. That was a huge Justin, problem. Justin Reed was banged up, but they clearly have a lack of athleticism at corner. And it's it starting to haunt Well, them. I mean, Jonathan Joseph is... is Jonathan Joseph is old. years old. And, and, it's, and they don't have that much on the other side. It's, they need more suddenness and athleticism at corner. And that's the most disheartening part about this with the Texans to me, is that if you look at what just happened, we already know they need more talent on the offensive line. 
They clearly need an injection of youth in the secondary. We're starting to pile up the needs here. And, I agree and, with that, but I, I feel like they, w- with a better offense, they could have very easily been in this game. I disagree. I okay. think they, they, they could not stop them. I mean, the, and, in, the, in the second half, Luck wasn't otherworldly good like he was in the first Yeah, half. I understand that. But there were, there you, were opportunities. What I'm saying is there were you opportunities. You get up to that much of a lead. There were opportunities for Watson to, to climb back in, and they never could. Yeah, but when you're up three scores and everything else, I, I think the game and the complexion of it changes. It, it's, it's that side of it. And then I didn't, give, I didn't pee heed enough to how bad of a matchup it was schematically for the Texans. The, the fact that they just really sit back in those zones and force you to fit balls in. And Watson was just missing those zone-busting throws. Exa- that was the exactly. problem. And that's exactly. why I think I think the Mahomes matchup might be a little bit better for the Chiefs because I don't think I don't think Watson threw so many passes where I was just like, what the hell was that? Yeah, and, and, and I, I don't necessarily know if, if Mahomes is going to do that. I love Watson, but I, I don't think that's the right defense for him to start picking apart. And then you go to the other side of it, and it's the exact opposite. Now, they more or less were going to sit and cover two, and the Colts had so many plays that were just designed to shred two high safeties and exploit the middle of the field. And they did it over and over and over again. And so you think about just by virtue of who these teams are, Mm -hmm. the fact that the Colts had a chance, and then you go to how great of a game that Frank Reich called, and then you go to how many spots the improvements in this team just showed up over and over and over again. Quentin Nelson, I, I think a lot of... I run the risk of overstating it just because it, the position matters you, you, to me and everything trust else. Me, you definitely do. He, 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 like, he destroyed a defensive line for an entire game. He was an animal. And what that does and just the level that, at which they dominated that Texans front and Braden Smith played well against Watt for the most part. You know, I, I, it's just that team and the way that they have built it is phenomenal. And I am so excited to watch them for the next two or three years. I don't know if they can beat the, the Chiefs on the road. I'm tempted to say that they can't, but good Lord has Chris Ballard set that team up to succeed. <laughs> yeah, no, I, w- w- without a doubt. I mean, I think we can get into it more on Thursday. I think it's oddly, I know everyone is really excited about the Colts. I think it's kind of a bad matchup because of how well Mahomes done against zone this year, but We'll get into more of that. I, and I just, it's a, it's I'm, a bad I'm, matchup because the but, Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. No, of course. But I'm just saying yeah, that I mean, we're, we're, we're re- everyone seems to be really excited about the Colts and their, I guess, momentum. Are we still doing momentum? I'm hearing a lot about momentum in the playoffs this week. I, I My momentum about the Colts has more to do about who they're going to be a year or two from now than it does about Without who they're going to be next week. Without a doubt. I mean, it's it's the future is bright in Indianapolis. With Quentin Nelson and the level of beards that both Frank Reich and Andrew Luck have, the Colts just get me. And, and I think that at a certain point, I probably have to adopt them as my team of choice here over the rest of the playoffs because Would you my team Indy? is out of it. Would I move there? Yeah. No. <laughs> like they, you know, you get you know, Quentin Nelson there, got some beards. Uh, no. We went, to I, a nice, I, we went to a nice bar there that one time, had a lot of... Uh, like beer on tap, 
you, I feel like that's you could you could do it. Uh, let's get I, you. I, let's I, get you to Indianapolis. Let's start the maze to indie movement. I mean, I guess so. There are there are places in Indianapolis that I like. I think. Like, yeah. Look, you're you're on your Blue, way already. Uh, Bluebeard is a really good restaurant. Um, there's that fried chicken place that I really like. Uh, that I can't remember the name of right What's now. What's the bar but, we went to? It's oh, not, the Eagle. The Eagle is the okay. is the no, bar. I was no, thinking no, about. no, no. That's that's a fried chicken place that I really like. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not one of those places. So there's all those places like Prime or whatever that everybody. What what are those places called? Everybody at the combine goes to, and it's like, oh look, there's John Schneider and Steve Kime, and it's like a. It's that's like the a, worst. Yeah, t- it's yeah Prime Forty Seven. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's the worst place to see um it's like the lowest rung of celebrity sightings is just go to prime during the the combine it's like oh wow it's dan quinn yeah no those are not the, it's like the going to places catch in that los I angeles like. except yeah. instead of brad pitt it's frank reich <laughs> <laughs> all right buddy uh i think that's all we got i i'm gonna go kind of be with my thoughts for a little while okay uh wait you're not in chicago so you can't even walk I the am- dog I am in Dallas. I, I can you Molly, find a dog to walk? I I could, but I'm not sure that the owner of the dog would appreciate that. Just explain so, the situation. Uh, I'm gonna go write about some football, and uh, again, kind of just be alone for a little while. It's I, I just want to kind of do like a post mortem very quickly. Okay, Th- this was one of the most fun Bears teams of my lifetime. I loved this team. Uh, that defense was a pleasure to watch every single week. I truly believe that they can be really good again next year. I think that the degree of difficulty doing that is high. And I'm just not banking on it. And that's why I kind of threw myself so hard into this season and what they could be. I thought these playoffs were extremely wide open. And them taking advantage of that field was something they could do and something that may have been necessary. And the fact that they couldn't do that, that they won this game this ugly that it was an inch or two away from being a team that went to the divisional round and had a chance to beat the Rams, everything else. It, it's tough. I, it's going to take a while to get over this. I'm still not sure I've processed it, but I, I appreciate all of you letting me try to uh, in your presence. Well said. Thanks, buddy. All right. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday as we always are. I will be doing that show from Dallas. I'm sticking around here all week. And uh, we'll be previewing the division I'm going to New England. There it is. Cool, guys. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. See ya.